Hello and welcome to Sports Talk, brought to you by sportstalk.ie. I'm Denise O'Flaherty and over the next couple of weeks I'll be interviewing a broad range of sports stars and personalities in a nice, relaxed and casual format. Our show is sponsored by the fantastic Medal Healthcare and we would like to thank them for their continued sponsorship even in these difficult times. This week's guest needs no real introduction except... It's former player, manager and now Sky Sports pundit, the much-loved Chris Kamara. I'd say you probably are one of the most loved Englishmen in Ireland. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, uh, well, wow, that is an accolade. But uh, I love the people, love the the place, love Dublin, you know. So, uh, yeah, um, that is an honour. I told a few people that I would be chatting to you and it was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, no one could believe it. <laughs> I didn't even get the reaction when I told my friends I was talking to Ray Houghton, so. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, well, that is nice. I'm going to have to change my name to uh, McNamara. That's a bit more Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, because I can't see McNamara, but McNamara now, that actually sounds very good. Did you ever think of going into stand-up comedy? Uh, no, but uh, funny enough, I got the invitation to do the Lincoln Comedy Festival three years ago, and I went and did stand-up for an hour, and then I got the call from Edinburgh, but unfortunately it would have been last summer, so uh, COVID took care of that. Are you always so jovial? Um, I like to think so, but, you know, when you play professional sport and things are not going so well and, uh, you know, there is a time and a place for having a laugh. But since moving into the TV in uh, basically 1998, um, so since that time I've looked upon everything as a bonus and just enjoy myself and just make the most of it. Uh, You know, if it all ends tomorrow, it's been a hooch. Uh, If it continues, I'll continue to have a laugh and a bit of fun. Listen, isn't that what it's all about? You know, sometimes we kind of can take life too serious. And I know at this moment in time, everything is kind of negative. But sometimes we kind of have to stop. We see something funny or do something funny because we do need a laugh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've been very fortunate through the lockdown that uh, the family is close by. My son, youngest son, lives next door. My oldest son on the first lockdown came with his family to live with us. So, uh, you know, we've had that silver lining of all the family together. And uh, my work has continued, obviously, football has carried on. Uh, A lot of the TV shows that I've been doing have carried on. So, you know, not a lot's changed for me, but the world has changed. Probably won't be the same again. Well, maybe not in my lifetime. Yeah, that, that's the scary thing. Your grandchildren, I suppose, well, you always seem to me as if you're young at heart, but do they keep you young at heart? Oh, they do. They do. They've changed uh, me and my wife's lives mm. for the good forever. You know, it's been wonderful. You know, I, I always got the message and the vibe from other people who got grandkids and we haven't got them yeah. that it would be something special and it's brought me and my wife closer together and we just love having the grandkids all the time and from work always being first it's now officially second 
family. Yeah, it is so important. Now, my parents, they became grandparents for the first time last year when Ireland went into lockdowns. In the summer, please God, you know, we'll be able to bring them summer. It kind of lets you revisit your youth as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, uh, you know, everyone says, oh, it's great, you can hand them back. And it's very rare that me and my wife want to do that. You know, we're sort of like grabbing them out of the car as they're taking them home now. So, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, no, it's great. I love the way you talk about your wife, but... The night of your wedding, I read a funny story about that, and it's a wonder she actually stayed with you after that. <laughs> well, she knew what I was like before that, you see. We we lived together for three years before the actual wedding, and uh, she knew that uh, a lot of my friends were coming to our house to stay the night of the wedding. Because we had an off-license as well that was connected to our house, then we were always going back to that house. Uh, but she didn't know I was going to watch uh, Scotland versus England that day uh, after I got back from the wedding. Uh, to be honest, I only put it on for five minutes just to see Paul Mariner's goal. And unfortunately, me and my best man fell asleep on the sofa. And uh, <laughs> So you spent your wedding nights with your best man. <laughs> I know, but, uh, uh, and, uh, the rest of my mates were all out. We got back, say, 11, 11.30 or we got married at 3 o'clock. So it was a long reception. So we got back at 11.30, something like that. Uh, my best man came with me. My wife came back in another car with her dad with a lot of presents and stuff. Uh, and the rest of the lads, it was four of the lads, my mates from Middlesbrough, they all went out to a nightclub. So they came back at uh, quarter past two in the morning. Me and uh, Peter, my best man, were fast asleep on the sofa. So I had to get up to let my <laughs> mates in. <laughs> it could only happen to you because that story back then wouldn't have been half as funny as it is now because we now know you and know what kind of a person you are. You had a great career as a player and as a manager, but you joined the Navy as a youngster. I did, yeah. My dad actually made me join the Royal Navy, and it's crazy now. When you think about, well, I think about my kids and my grandkids, you would never make them do anything. But um, times were different then. You know, we're talking, God, 1973. And uh, my dad had said, look, look, if you stay in Middlesbrough, you're only going to end up in trouble. You'll end up uh, either drinking too much or in jail because you're mixing with the wrong mm. people. Not that I did at all, uh, but uh, I had the opportunity to be an apprentice footballer at Middlesbrough, and he just wouldn't have it. He made he marched my brother down to the recruitment office and made him sign on the dotted line for the army, and he marched me down, and I had to sign for the navy, and. I suppose people believe in fate. I certainly do. Mm. And that was my path, was to get away from Middlesbrough. Because, to be fair, there was eight other lads who all signed for Middlesbrough Football Club at the same time. Really? And not one of them made it from the team I was in. Uh, so fate took a hand 
when I went to Tall Point in Devon near Plymouth. Um, the Navy football team trained there and the rest is history. Yeah, they say things happen for a reason and that's exactly it. Did it give you a grounding? Obviously you weren't in the Navy that long, but for the short time that you were there. It certainly um, made me, to be fair, I've never had a silver spoon in my mouth. Because, you know, we weren't very well off when I was young. Times were hard then. We were the only uh, black family on our estate, one of the only black families in Middlesbrough. Racism was rife then. People weren't nice like they are today. And, yeah. you know, people talk about racism today. You know, it's chalk and cheese compared to what it was. I remember talking to black people and they found they got on very well with Irish people because there was no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. You know, that was basically it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My mum and dad used to go to an Irish club where, you know, they were accepted. Uh, whereas a lot of the other clubs, they weren't, you know. So, yeah, that's true. Like I said, it, I'm not saying racism doesn't go on today. Because it does, it's yeah. never been able to uh, eradicate it, but it's certainly nowhere near as bad as what it was when I was growing up. Playing must have been brilliant, but then making that step into management, was that something when you started off in your career, you thought, well, maybe I'll play and then I'll go into management, or did you fall into management? I was, uh, I was 21 years old when I was captain of Swindon Town, which... You know, I was the first black player to play for them. Uh, and then two years later, I ended up captain in the side, which was unusual back then, very unusual. And I captained Portsmouth, Brentford, um, Stoke, Bradford City uh, in my career. So I was always a bit of a, a leader, character organiser, yeah. Um, someone who was very vocal in the dressing room so that was old going into coaching was always going to be my path but once again fate took a hand uh, I was playing for Sheffield United in 93-94 season and we had to win the final day of the season and no, we didn't have to win we didn't need to lose a game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and uh, I had another year rollover in the Premier League uh, if we stayed up and things turned out bad we were 16th in the table uh, before kickoff, and then um, we ended up getting relegated and so that meant my contract finished and I ended up going to one of my former managers Lenny Lawrence he was my manager at Swindon he took me to Bradford eventually made me his coach when he got the sack I fell into his shoes and uh, you know managed to get Bradford promoted yeah. the same year the same season and uh, and then uh, I had a brief spell at Stoke another one of my former clubs yeah. didn't you know, it didn't go so well there I took over a team I know I'm making excuses I took over a team that Three weeks before I took over, I'd been beaten 7-0 at home. I had to take the previous manager on as my assistant. So uh, you can imagine how difficult that was. 
I was expecting him to resign and walk away, but he didn't. You know, things didn't work out well. Like I said, I made mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes, but taking over at that time was probably the worst time I could have done. But it all happens for a reason. I fell into Sky straight after that, and 22 years later, I'm still there. For any soccer fan here in Ireland, Soccer Saturday goes on Sunday. That's how we would know Chris Kamara. How did Sky come about? When I was manager of Bradford, um, Sky just took over the Football League. You know, they were doing the Premier League anyway, and they decided to take over coverage of the Football League, and they paid the Football League big money to do it. And it didn't start until September 96. So... I was fortunate enough that we won four games in August and drew one, and I got the Manager of the Month award. And so Sky came to me and said, uh, would you like to do our first game? It's Sheffield United uh, at home to Sunderland. And I went, yeah, great. It's 40 minutes from where I live. And they said, oh, no, Sky Studios is down near Heathrow Airport. You've got to come down there. Great, I did. Me and Marcus Buckland... He's a presenter, does mostly tennis these days. Uh, it was his first gig. And uh, there was another game on after the Sheffield United Sunderland game. And Jerry Francis, the former QPR and England player, he was manager of Bristol Rovers at the time. He was to do the second game, got stuck in traffic on the M4. And I did six hours of telly with Marcus Buckland, obviously two games in between advertisements. So we were basically on telly for a couple of hours talking about other games and the games that we'd just seen. And I was the go-to guy for Sky from then on. It's mad how it happens. You are a man of many talents. I obviously know Fergal Flaherty from The Hole in the Wall in Tenerife, so I would have seen videos of yourself singing a few tunes. <laughs> you could give Fergal a run for his money. When's that album going to come out, yourself and <laughs> Well, uh, oh, yeah, with Fergal. Well, I, I actually offered Fergal uh, to come and sing um, because I've done two Christmas albums yeah. now. And last... November and December, we should have had a 21-day tour. Um, so, unfortunately, due to COVID, that had to be cancelled. But I did offer Fergal that any one of the gigs he wanted to come along and sing with us, it was an open invitation. Uh, and it's been scaled down, but having said that, it's been scaled down for this November and December, to 12 dates but it might and you know it might get legs again and we might end up doing more gigs and Fergal's always welcome to come along and sing a tune with us um, I've now got 20 Christmas songs uh, that I've sang on the albums 10 last year 10 this year three of my own songs and uh, you know we're going to make it a show for people to remember I have a confession to make to Fergal because when people go to Tenerife I kind of say going to the hole in the wall about Fergal Flaherty but I've said a few times to people that you might see Chris Kamara in there so I think <laughs> Fergal probably thinks they're in to see him sing but it's actually more to see him <laughs> I have a, a set list with Fergal I never 
never change it because everyone goes, oh, yeah. you know, sing something different and all that. And I think, no, no, they all know the songs I sing. They've all had a few beers. They all join in and they think I sound great, but it's only because they've had a few beers. <laughs> There's a video of yourself and Ricky Hatton singing uh, Ring of Fire as well. Oh, God, yeah, Phil Thompson was uh, doing that as well. The boys have been in, yeah, well, the old boys from Soccer Saturday. Uh, they've all been in and fired up the tune, and yeah, no, it's been great. Unfortunately, um, I've not been in the hole in the wall. Uh, myself and Greg James, uh, I've walked away from it now, and it's Fergal in there on his own. Uh, the worst possible time yeah. uh, for him to take over, but fingers crossed, you know, hopefully this next year will pick up for him. During the first lockdown, when we didn't know about anything, Virgil used to do a Facebook Live, and yeah, every night, uh, without fail, myself and Mama would get all excited to watch it. What I like about Virgil, he is very personable. You yourself used to go out and, you know, Virgil at the Golf and Classic out there, and you went out to help, because you're very good with your charity work as well. Yeah, yeah, well, Virgil's helped me along with my charity before uh, he got involved in doing his own. Um, so, basically... Um, you know, going out for Mary Curie and doing the Chris Kamara Golf Tournament and Fergal was, you know, really good at helping that get off the ground. Um, uh, Daniel O'Donnell as well, yeah. really helpful. And, uh, yeah, no, Fergal's a great entertainer and uh, just fingers crossed for him that things are going to go better from now on. You've done a bit of dancing. Any chance of you trying out a bit of river dance? <laughs> No, actually, uh, I did strictly for uh, Comic Relief, and um, they keep asking me now to go on normal Strictly, but my back is so bad. I haven't played golf for three years uh, because of it, and uh, when I saw uh, Kelvin Fletcher, uh, when I saw him do Strictly, that was it for me. You know, he was better than the pros, yeah. and uh, so I thought... So I knew this year, I tipped who the winner was going to be. But to be fair, he was good as well. He was, it wasn't just a token effort to try and make it, you know, for someone outside to be good. Uh, he did really well. So, you know, yes, I would love to do it, but I'm not capable anymore. I can just imagine you'd been a bit of a Michael Flatley but we've done in Ireland we've had Strictly Come Dancing but it's just been just do one dance and I was asked to do it for my former secondary school and it is tough you know it's absolutely brilliant and the camaraderie is something else but it's a tough yeah. week so I can imagine you know practicing the dance every week to sustain all that you know, even as a former footballer it's tough to do that have that stamina week after week after week oh Without a doubt, you know, when I did uh, the comedy relief one with Anya Garnis, um, she was so demanding uh, and she obviously wanted us to win, uh, whereas I'm thinking it's just a bit of fun and a laugh. And she got cross with me in the nicest possible way <laughs> quite a few times, you know. But uh, uh, we, did, we came third out of three. Um, uh, Alex Scott was the winner. Um, David Ginola came second and I came third, you know, so, <laughs> but that was two weeks of training and you're quite right, it was eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night and uh, it was really hard work, 
Chris, I mentioned about how much the Irish love you. And a couple of years ago, we loved you even more. When you were part of the AIB series, you came over and you sampled our games, the GA, and you got to experience it. And then obviously you got to commentate then on Dublin Mayo. What was it like? Ah, it was incredible. From the moment we stepped down in Kerry Airport and got off the planes and then met Murha Murha. I'm actually better at that now than I was <laughs> before, Me even if it doesn't sound like anything like his name. <laughs> Um, Listen, even the was, Irish have a problem saying no more hard things, so you're alright. <laughs> it was really good. It, honestly, we had the time of our lives. It, we just wish, you know, I mean, the AIB were incredible and it was a wonderful journey, but for that to be online was was a crime, really, because it, it would have made such great TV. Yeah. Um, you know, on national TV. We loved every second of it. We had an absolute blast. You know, I loved Jeff anyway. So, but to spend a, a week with him uh, and then go back for the final, um, having seen all those beautiful places in Ireland, sampled the Guinness in everywhere, uh, was just, oh, it was, it's one of, you know, one of the best ever trips of my life. I can honestly say that. Yeah, John Bishop, now, obviously, after yourself, he's my favourite comedian, but um, John Bishop, uh, John Bishop, <laughs> and he toured around and he went to, was it Dublin and Mio <laughs> in another um, All-Ireland, and the reaction from him, you yourself, would you have ever tried it out now, Gaelic football? Um, well, I like to think when I was young and growing up, I, I would have been a part of it. I often uh, spoke to Niall Quinnett, mm. Um, about it, you know, because Niall was a good friend of mine. We had a common interest as well. We both love horses and horse racing. Um, so when I would come over uh, for the horse racing, I'd often see Niall uh, and he used to entertain people at the races and stuff like that. So I was normally one of his guests. Um, so yeah, I used to talk to him about, because I've seen footage of him playing and uh, just thought how tough it was. And, and he said it was brilliant for him because it toughened him up. Uh, when he played football, uh, people kicking him or nudging him or trying to do whatever with him, uh, in fact, was a piece of cake compared to the GAA. And uh, he was, uh, it was a great grounding for him. And we loved it, you know, starting off at uh, the grassroots, yeah. uh, working up to that final, the atmosphere, being in with the players. Uh, it was just magic, it really was. What about Harlan? That is now, that is well, sport. Yeah, yeah, well, everyone was saying, you know, that would be great if me and Jeff uh, could follow up by doing that and we'd yeah. love to do it uh, but the invitation never came uh, but that is a sport in itself it really is yeah it's the fastest 
field garden in the world. But you mentioned Niall Quinn and a lot of, you know, soccer players would have had that and a lot of rugby players would have had a GA background and that has helped them. The fact I think a lot of people admire the GA is that these are all doing it for the love of the jersey, the love of their club, the love of the county. Um, well, that's the thing we couldn't get our heads around. You know, a lot of these players are doing a nine-to-five job uh, and then going to training, travelling miles and miles and miles to do the training and then back up the next day early to do a, a job, you know. And then you get to the final and uh, there's 90,000 people in the stadium and it's just... <laughs> You know, thankfully, all that money goes to grassroots and uh, helping all the clubs, which, you know, which in itself is absolutely brilliant. We'll have to start a petition now to get yourself and Jeff back for the hurling. Oh, yes, please do. <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, when John Bishop did his tour of Ireland, like it was it was a TV series. I can just imagine now you and Jeff now setting off. and Because a lot of people go around, you know, obviously... The, the coastline of Ireland, people forget in the Midlands where I'm from and where Fergal would have been born, there's a place called Longford and the lovely little county, you know, you're more than welcome to come to Longford. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. We'd love that. Definitely. Yeah, let's do it. That's, that's it, that's it. I suppose for you now, with COVID and everything and no fans and, you know, talking to Ray Houghton about, you know, it's, it's so surreal and, and for clubs and putting on the telly, I put down the sound because it's just not the same. How is it for you to commentate on those matches? It's been a nightmare. Uh, I feel for the players, yeah. for the clubs, but I certainly feel for the fans yeah. because, you know, them not being there, you know, I saw like, I, since goals on Sunday got dropped due to the pandemic, I've become the northern correspondent and I live in Wakefield near Leeds. And so the games I've been doing are Huddersfield, Middlesbrough, Barnsley, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Rotherham, Doncaster, um, all those types of um, clubs. Uh, and I go there and there's one man and his dog uh, takes your temperature, you know, none of the facilities are open. Yeah. Uh, the, the away team arrives, goes to a different part of the ground. They don't mix with uh, the opposition. Um, they come out and they do their little warm-up. The game starts. And it, it has actually got better. But initially, the games were so poor. You know, I think season, wasn't it, really? Yeah, crikey, you know. And lack of motivation, not by the managers, but just by the lack of atmosphere. I can understand why, the, you know, the players can't get up for this. And yeah. the, the strange results as well, you know. Home advantage doesn't make any difference no. anymore. You In fact, it's it gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, no, it's a nightmare. The sooner we can get fans back in the stadium, football will become football again. Yeah, because we count ourselves lucky when we're able to go. And last year I was able to do the, the All-Ireland Ladies Gaelic Football Final and Camogie. But still, I was lucky to be there. I was feeling for supporters. But as you said, Fingers crossed that there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel over there in England that at the end of the season that supporters yeah. will be allowed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would think the start of next season we could be back to normal uh, if everyone's had their jabs uh, then 
then you know but that's a problem as well that's you know, I just had a phone call with the government this morning about doing an ad for them trying to get uh, black and ethnic minorities to actually take the vaccination which I find incredible I really do it is people's personal choice but I remember listening to programs in America that a lot of the African Americans it was affecting them a lot whatever it is it affects you know coloured people if you know for better words it yeah. affect them more yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know exactly what you mean but that's not one of the words you can use anymore which yeah. is absolutely crazy you know I'm brown but I, I'm either black or a, a black person which I find you know you can't identify or I can't identify with my mother's side who was white you know so even though I'm a mixture of the two <laughs> I am a black person and uh, so yeah no I find it incredible if I was going to one of the African countries tomorrow, I would need to take a vaccination just to make sure I didn't catch malaria or this or that or the other. And so we've got a, uh, a pandemic, a virus that's going around, and people are still not believing that it's actually happening. And it, I just find it crazy. I really do. I'm so passionate about this. I got the call to say, would you help? Of course I will. You know, I'd love to. And I will get stick for it. And I know that. I know there'll be a lot of people out there who will say, look, you know, why should I do that? You know, the chances of me dying uh, are zero. But the thing is, you can have that virus, the chances of you not dying, I agree, but you can pass that on to someone else. Yeah, you said it. You were on about the conspiracy theory. It was like every government in the world got together and decided to make (laughs) And then by G. Surely one of the deprived countries, you know, Sierra Leone, where my dad was from, would say, look, I'm not going to be part of this conspiracy. Everyone can come over to this country and bring the economy right to the roof. And for the first time in our uh, lives, we will be a healthy country. Yeah, come on. Be realistic. This is not a conspiracy. This is really happening. It's real, and I think when it affects you, I think until it comes on your doorstep. Before we go, a friend of mine said, you know, what do you ask Kamara? Because he's just so funny. And I said, yeah, there's one incident that Chris Kamara will always be remembered for. <laughs> Red card. <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that probably took me from football into mainstream TV. So I'll always be grateful for that happening and I'm just so glad it panned out the way it did on the day what I didn't try to pretend that I'd actually seen it when I hadn't Uh, and it just goes to show that honesty is the best policy Um, and it it has been great you know I got there that day the gantry was closed off uh, due to health and safety so I had to stand in the corner of the ground they didn't come to me when they should have done and all those little factors that contributed to that and then for uh, I actually phoned well the director told me off on the day said watch the game you know it's all right the lads laughing in the studio but that's what you're there for to report the uh, news and I said yeah you're, you're right uh, I phoned the producer on the way home and he went oh you can get away with it uh, just about because <laughs> we'd had a, a lot of laugh up until then with me and Jeff and then the following day, the phone just went crazy. Um, Fox Sports in America, 
Australian TV, Chinese TV, Dutch radio, uh, you name it, <laughs> wanted to speak to me about the internet and it's just amazing how things go. 20 million plus on YouTube have watched it and people don't get fed up with it. I certainly, everyone goes, oh, you know, are you upset when someone shouts unbelievable Jeff or don't miss that? I was going to say that you didn't say those two words, please. <laughs> But it showed how human you were. You could have a laugh about it. I don't think it would have worked if it had been Paul Merson or Matt Letizia or Charlie Nicholas or Big <laughs> just, just It was had to happen to the right person. But as you said, you laughed. But I think that's one thing about ourselves as well. You know, we were talking about that earlier on, but taking life too serious. And sometimes we can take ourselves too serious. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, the fortunate thing about this profession and this part of my life is... It's just enjoyable. It's not like football. You know, when, when uh, it made me realise uh, when I was Bradford City Manager, I worked for a chairman who um, wanted to dictate and I managed to get away from him on skate and thought, right, I'm not, hopefully not going to work like that with anyone else. Went to Stoke. Like I say, it didn't work out. Mm. Uh, and then to get into TV, which doesn't have that pressure, the only pressure is from you yeah. to make sure that you do your job. You're not relying on other people to do it for you, you know. And that's my career from before was always relying on my teammates when I become coach, on the players that I was coaching, and when I became manager, the team. You, you. I never thought for one minute when I played football for 22 years that a manager was sat at home on a Friday night wondering what I was up to that night. So just in case you didn't perform the next day. Yeah. And all of a sudden when I became a manager, all those things, what are they up to? Why are they not well? Is it a family thing? You know, mentally, what's going on in their life? They're not producing the goods anymore. It's just incredible. So to get into TV and just have to concentrate on what you do yourself was just, like I said, brilliant. You know, so I'm enjoying it, still enjoying it. Goals on Sunday's gone, but, you know, I've still got bad. something Saturday. Yeah. Listen. No, it won't. Oh, well, it won't be bad. No, no, no. They, they canned it, unfortunately. 19 good seasons also. That's uh, for people to have a football show for 19 seasons. You know, match of the day, obviously, institution, uh, but it's not at the same presenter for uh, 19 yeah. seasons. Well, although Lineker's getting up to my, um, <laughs> my yeah, time now, I'm sure. It was a ritual for me on a Sunday morning was to watch it before I'd head to Mass. It was a ritual for a lot of people, you know. It was highly informative, the analysis. 
Yeah. Even if I say it myself was good. I love the chats uh, in the crowd. And it was funny. Yeah, yeah. the funny. And, you know, you could relax and... It was match of the day, but not a serious yes, match of the day. That's exactly mm. it. Chris, don't ever change. You are welcome. Ah, you. are welcome over here anytime. You have to come to Longford and uh, myself and Fergo can sort that out. And definitely we'll get that petition for yourself and Jeff to come back and do the hurling. Oh, brilliant. We'll get you a Longford Town jersey and a Longford Gia jersey, so you'll be sorted. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. This has just made my year. Ah, oh, no, no worries. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, um, like I said, I can do it again. Listen, you take care of yourself, Chris. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.